All right, well, we're moving along through our summer sermon series titled Tweets from Scripture, where we look at short snippets uh, from the Bible, 140 characters or less, um, words which could stand on their own, uh, independent from Scripture, but some of them we need to kind of look at the surrounding context. Uh, and so I printed that in your bulletin as well, along with our verse, which is John 3, verse 30. It's also in your Pew Bibles on page 888. Now, Today's scripture tweet comes from the mouth of John the Baptist, so perhaps a quick refresher on who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist and Jesus were relatives. He was born a few months before Jesus. Prior to his birth, an angel appeared to John's father, Zechariah, and the angel said, your son will be full of the Holy Spirit while he's in his mother Elizabeth's womb. And, and, and the angel said that God would use John the Baptist in a very special way to make ready the people of God to receive the Messiah. Now, fast forward to just around the time of our passage today. John the Baptist uh, is a grown man. He's living in the wilderness by the Jordan River, and he has a large following of disciples. Thousands of people are coming out to see John the Baptist so that he may baptize them. See, it's a ritual that signified one's repentance and and desire for cleansing and forgiveness. In order for us to receive the forgiveness of God, we must be prepared for it. And John the Baptist provided that. But then one day along comes Jesus, and John the Baptist turns to his disciples and points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and God's favor was placed upon Jesus. The next day, two of John's disciples left John and went to follow Jesus. One was Andrew, remember, and he went and got who? Simon Peter. (laughs) And they went and they followed Jesus. They became disciples of Jesus. Now, now we come to our little scripture tweet. Many have been following Jesus now. They've, John's, uh, Jesus' own disciples now have a baptism ministry, even though it's actually, um, you know, it's not Jesus who are baptizing, it's the disciples. And some of John the Baptist's disciples are getting irked at Jesus' popularity. People are leaving John's ministry and flocking towards Jesus. And it's here where John speaks his famous words. Words which signify not just his calling, but our calling as well. In John 3.30, John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, we're in need of this word this morning. No matter who we are, where we are, what we do, um, we are in need of Jesus being magnified, uh, increasing in our lives, um, that we and our own agendas would be made small so that Christ could have his way in us. We know this isn't natural. This is a work from above. And so we pray that for ourselves, um, that you would send your spirit to make this work possible, that you would change our hearts and empower us towards this end, we pray. Amen. 
Have you ever paused to consider how our world operates? How our world is such a dog-eat-dog world full of self-promotion and one-upmanship. A world we live in is dominated by a me-first attitude. A way of living where the motto is what? Look out for number one, right? We could easily rephrase that motto this way. Others must decrease, but I must increase. This approach to life impacts all kinds of areas of life. It affects how we celebrate, doesn't it? If a co-worker gets a promotion or a raise, instead of celebrating, what are we prone to do? We're prone to compare, to complain, to gossip, right? It affects how we draw near to others in friendships. If you meet a new acquaintance, isn't it true that pretty quickly you're going to shore that person up? Figure out how they will maybe bless you in some sort of way by being a friend with you. Or try to figure out maybe how much of a problem they're going to be so maybe you can avoid them and not enter into that friendship. Often we have all kinds of criteria before we begin to make friends with others. It's this me first attitude. John the Baptist though models for, for us a life that the gospel calls us towards. He summarizes the Christian life with some simple yet profound words. As he points his followers towards Jesus, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Simple words, but profound. Simple words, but oh so difficult, right? Today we'll perhaps challenge you. You may find that you're not as humble as you think you are, or as loving, or as committed, or as wise, or faithful. But you will also hear of the one who is. The one who can produce all these good qualities in us. Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent from heaven to bring us back to God. See, there really is something about Jesus that must capture us. Right before John said that he must increase, John the Baptist tells his disciples that he rejoices greatly at Jesus' voice, at his presence on earth. John knows what we must know, and that is that Jesus calls us to a gloriously joyful life in him. And to experience that more fully, Jesus must increase and we must decrease. So our proposition this morning is simple. Because Christ alone gives us fullness of joy, he must increase and we must decrease. We see in our text there's four reasons Because Jesus alone is the Christ, because Jesus alone is the bridegroom, because Jesus alone comes from heaven, and because Jesus has been given all things, he must increase and we must decrease. First, because Jesus alone is the Christ, he must increase and we must decrease. John the Baptist helps us to see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Um, Christ is not his last name, right? It's a, it's a title. And that title of Christ or Messiah was the title of the promised one to come that the Old Testament spoke about. The one who, when he came, would bring, bring restore the nation, bring peace and prosperity um, to the people. John the Baptist wants his followers to see that Jesus alone is the Christ. And no one else can fill that role. And therefore, we must relate to him as such. And to do so necessitates what? Humility. 
But humility is kind of hard to come by, isn't it? In a Peanuts newspaper cartoon, there used to be a day when you like, read the newspaper and there was cartoons and like, you followed along. So Anyway, um, Linus once tells Charlie Brown, he says, When I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. I will live in the city, see, and every morning I'll get up, climb in my sports car, and zoom into the country. Then I'll start healing people. I'll heal people for miles around. In the last frame, he exclaims, I'll be a world-famous, humble little country doctor. (laughs) Charles Schultz, the cartoonist, was poking fun at how difficult it is for us to be humble. We may start out with the goal of being a humble little whatever, but before we know it, We're into being a world-famous, humble little whatever. John the Baptist has been faithfully serving in his role as the one who prepares the way for Jesus. People need to repent and cleanse themselves to prepare themselves for, for Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist's baptism was all about, a baptism of repentance and preparation. But now Jesus has garnered a larger and larger following. He too is baptizing, though it's his disciples who are doing the work. And how do John the Baptist's disciples respond? They're irked. They're jealous. And they no doubt want John the Baptist to do something about it, to set it right. The last straw happens in John chapter 3. Let's look at it, verse 25 and 26. It's there in your bulletin. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. That's the baptism rite. And they came to John, the Baptist, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, talking to Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. In other words, they're saying, John, you're our teacher. We're committed to you. But we can't sit back and watch all that hard work we've done go down the drain. After all, you baptize that guy. If he does anything, he should be helping us out. If anything, he should be supporting our ministry. Aren't you going to do anything? Yes, says John. I'm doing something. He must increase. I must decrease. John tells them and he tells us some important truths. Look at verse 27 and 28 there. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. John is simply pointing out what would be wise for all of us to understand is that God is in control Who you are, the gifts you have, the abilities, the the situations that you have in your life, um, they're they're granted by God. You are the only you who can be you. That's what John the Baptist is getting at. The person can, can receive nothing except what is given him from God. And so John is telling that there is no point in getting all worked up because John himself has not been given the supreme place. He's not the Christ. 
He reminds them emphatically. You know, they, they know. He's said before, I'm not the Christ. He's had to tell a number of people, I'm not the Christ. I know you want me to be, but I'm not. I'm prepared the way for him. John the Baptist is saying this. He's saying, I know who I am. I know who God has made me and called me to be. I'm nothing more. But I'm also nothing less. See, John longed to see the coming of Jesus. He longed for the Messiah to put his feet on earth's sin-stained soil. He longed for the day to come when, when God's will would be done. And he knows what we must know, that only Jesus is the Christ. Only he can bring about the redemption we desperately need. Therefore, Jesus must increase and we must decrease. So too for you and me. It's obvious, though, well, it should be obvious. Uh, None of us are the Christ, right? Okay. In weddings, I often have to remind the bride and groom that when I do weddings. You're not the Christ. There you go. Um, We're not the Christ. We know that. And yet we can often find ourselves trying to be something that God did not call us to be. We can be envious of other people's God-given gifts and successes, or we can use our God-given gifts, but pridefully take credit for them and puff ourselves up. Part of our calling as Christians is to know our particular calling, how God has designed you, your personality, your abilities, your spiritual giftedness. You know, one of the more challenging ways to serve here uh, around Grace Church is to be on our hospitality team. You know, you have to get here early. Uh, you have to follow all of these detailed instructions, right? Uh, you've got to cut the bread just right. Not too thick, not too thin. Uh, you've got to fill up all these tiny little cups without making a mess. Stack the trays just right. Get it all out here. Make coffee. Clean up. It can be a thankless job. You can even find yourself comparing yourselves to others. Especially that music team. Boy, their voice is so pretty. They get to sing up front. Wow. We must be careful to subdue our dissatisfactions. John the Baptist helps us to see that life now is all about Christ. So it's about you and me stripping away our own vain desires so that Christ may be magnified through our humble service, whatever that may be. Each of us has gifts from heaven. We're to use them to the best of our abilities for the glory of Christ. Because Jesus alone is the Christ, he must increase and we must decrease. We also see in this story that Jesus is the bridegroom. And because Jesus is the bridegroom, he must increase and we must decrease. At any wedding, who is at the center of attention? It's the bride and the bridegroom. You know, I've, I've been the best man at a number of weddings. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think anybody really remembers me, right? <laughs> they remember the bride and the groom, but... They don't remember that I served as a best man, thankfully, right? Because 
Isn't it true? The only time that someone seems to remember the best man is when he makes a complete fool of himself. <laughs> Thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. So, um, The best man plays an important role, but he's not center stage. John the Baptist uses this analogy of a best friend of the bridegroom or the best man to help his disciples understand. They would have seen it clearly. It's a very good illustration uh, of his role in God's big story. Verse 29, John the Baptist says, It is the bridegroom that has the bride. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. Again, John the Baptist is making an astounding point about Jesus. He is a long-awaited bridegroom. The Old Testament talks about how there was one to come, the Messiah, who was to be the bridegroom of the nation. And then the New Testament speaks regularly about how the, the church is what? The bride of Christ. That we belong to him and he to us. He has pledged his love and commitment to us. And likewise, we have pledged our love and commitment to him. John the Baptist tells his disciples, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the best man. And the best man is not jealous of the success of Jesus in his ministry. In fact, John the Baptist doesn't see himself in competition with Jesus. And so when the disciples tell John the Baptist about all this success of Jesus, he rejoices. Why? Because it's exactly what he wanted to hear. The bridegroom's here. The one whom God has promised would love his people with great tenderness and compassion and zeal. He's here. How on earth could I increase with him in my presence? John the Baptist understood. Well, we must understand that Jesus alone is the bridegroom. Only his love and commitment to the church will better us. This is perhaps one of the most comforting word pictures that the Bible gives us. The Bible gives us other word pictures, and they are nice, It's a good and wonderful thing when we read in Scripture that the church is the body of Christ or the church is the building in which Christ is the cornerstone. But there's perhaps no better comforting word picture than that of Christ being the bridegroom and the church being his bride. It emphasizes his love and commitment. It's a tender love that binds together a a bride and a bridegroom. It's the essence of marriage. And so what John the Baptist wants his people to see is that the people of God are the object of Christ's love. And it's such a great love that Christ died for the church. And so therefore there's nothing more important in living out our Christian lives than reciprocating in this love towards Christ. Now, knowing this changes how we see things. It changes our expectations of others, or at least it should. Those of you who here, those of you here who are married, or perhaps wanting to become married someday, your husband or wife isn't Jesus. 
your earthly spouse will let you down. Only Jesus can love your soul with perfection. No earthly love or commitment, as good as it can be, compares to the love and commitment of Christ to those who belong to him. And when we understand this and allow Christ to increase, it changes our marriages. We become more willing to honor Christ in our marriage above all things, to put him first in our marriages. And it means that we become patient like Christ and forgiving like Christ and tender like Christ and sacrificial like Christ. You and I cannot do this apart from Christ's love and commitment to us being worked into us through the gospel and working out into our relationships. Knowing this not only changes our expectations in marriage and how we function in our marriages, but also the church too. Pastors will let you down. Elders will let you down. Other church members will let you down. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm just highlighting the truth that there is only one bridegroom for the church. The church is not a retreat for the elite. It's a nest for the needy. We're all in need of God's grace. As the church, we're the bride of the only one who can make us worthy and beautiful in God's sight. Therefore, he must increase and we must decrease. Because Jesus comes from heaven, he must increase and we must decrease have you ever flown in a plane and you're, you're getting close to your arrival city and so the plane's getting lower and you're looking out the window and you see like miles of traffic, right? You can see the freeways and the cars backed up. But you can also see where the traffic jam ends and wherever cars are going nice and freely. Have you ever done that? Just, yeah, some of you. All right. Um, it's a lot better than driving in a bus, I'll tell you that. All right, so you're in a plane, you're looking down. But if you're in the cars on the ground, um, things are different, Right? <laughs> You roll your window down and people are cussing and complaining. This darn traffic, you know. This darn Waze app. It should have rerouted me, man. Why am I doing here, right? Turn right. Turn right. Okay. Um, You know better. Why? Because you are from above. You're not down below on the earth. In a similar way, John says that Jesus is from above and that he speaks from heaven, which means that God in his love has, has sent his son with words for earth. Therefore, we must listen to him. Look at verses 31 through 34. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Speaking of himself there. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now understand, by this time, I don't think it's John the Baptist speaking anymore. Now John is taking back over. This is his story. He's putting it into his book. And, um, and so he wants to give us even more insights um, into how Jesus uh, must increase and we must decrease. So the, the Apostle John 
is speaking. They're not the same. There's John the Baptist and John the disciple. The disciple, the apostle, is speaking of how Jesus came from heaven for our good and how we need to hear from heaven. If earth is to have any hope, we need to hear from above, right? We're stuck in the traffic jam. We need a heavenly perspective on this life we live. And it's true, isn't it? There's so many words that originate from earth, not from heaven. Uh, Every day, experts tell us what is good, what is right, and what is true, how to have a meaningful life, you know, who to marry, you know, 10 tips for better dating success, all these different things, right? Um, TV commercials, one after another, are telling us what? Here's what you need to make you happy. If you just have this or do that or go here, you will be happy. After all, life's all about you having fun, right? That's the noise we hear from earth. We need to hear from above. But Jesus enters, the one from heaven, God's good and perfect and holy son. He bears witness to what is true from heaven. We are wise to listen. He says to repent and turn back to God. He says to seek first the kingdom. He says flee from sin and experience God's wonderful forgiveness. And what happened when he did that? Well, We know how the story went. Most everyone did not receive Jesus' testimony, just like John says. Jesus said, God is calling you to such a radical love that you're going to give away almost all that you have and be joyful about it. But most said, no way. Jesus said, do not store up treasure on earth, but instead store store up treasure in heaven. And most said, forget it. Jesus said, come walk with me in such a love for others that it will cost you a lot, but it will be worth it. And most said, that cannot be true. Jesus said, I did not call the righteous, but sinners. And most said, well, we're not sinners. You must not be calling us. Jesus said, I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but then on the third day rise again. And most said, that's preposterous. Jesus, while dying on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And most of them said, if you really are the Son of God, save yourself. We'd be wise to listen to the one sent from above. Jesus is honest with us. He tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. We need to hear that we're far from God and we're hopeless apart from Christ. But also that God in his grace sent his son to to testify to our great need. And not only that, God sent his son to satisfy our great need. Jesus Christ is the only one who's come from heaven to accomplish this for us. Therefore, he must increase and we must decrease. Lastly, because Jesus has been given all things, he must increase and we must decrease. Let me pose a hypothetical. This is totally hypothetical because no one takes bus rides these days, do they? No one. Everyone wants to get on a net jet or something, right? Wheels up, right? All right. But suppose there were two commercial buses out front and each one was about to take a trip which bus would you get on? You, well, you probably have some questions, right? Like, all right, where's this bus going? And where is that bus going? And what are the amenities on the bus? And, of course, who next going on the bus with me, right? <laughs> bus trips take a while. Um, suppose they said bus number one was traveling in style. First class, sleeper seats, movies, Wi-Fi, and it's full of nice, caring, friendly people who you know, share their gummy bears with you and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and it's going to some of your favorite destinations and then traveling down uh, really fast, traveling down uh, to Rio de Janeiro, and you get to go to the Olympics, opening, closing ceremonies, any ticket you want to go to. That's pretty nice. So that's bus number one. Um, but then there's the other bus. It's an old rundown Greyhound. They tried to buff out the, the signage on it, but you can still see it. And uh, it's poorly maintained. It's sure to break down. Stinky bathrooms full of obnoxious people who crank ACDC and burp a lot, right? Um, and oh, you're traveling to the desert. And most likely the bus will break down there, spoiling any hope of a good time. Now, which bus would you get on? If I were to be on bus number one and say, come with me, would you obey my voice? John is telling us that Jesus has done something similar for us. Not exactly a bus, per se. Sometimes illustrations break down. But... Look at the last few verses, verse 35 and 36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Perhaps you're saying, Mark, there's no buses here. All right, well, use your imagination. John is telling us that God the Father, in love for Jesus the Son, Jesus is divine, right, has given all things to Christ. Christ has proved faithful. He did what he was sent to do, and he's risen in glory, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And the Father says, Son, you have all authority over all that is to come. I give it to you. Jesus has authority to bring in the age to come, which is promised to us. The age where all will rise, some to eternal life, and some to eternal separation from Christ. That day is coming, and it's in Jesus' hands. God is good to do this, to bring about healing and resurrection and restoration. But it comes at a cost to those who say, no, Jesus talks about hell. He spoke about it a lot. And not because he liked it. He didn't speak about it often because he enjoyed the idea that any person would ever end up there. Jesus often spoke of hell so that people would listen and obey his voice and follow him somewhere else. See, Jesus came to earth to point us to the new heaven and the new earth. And he told us his testimony that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came in love to warn us of what is ahead if we do not listen and obey. He said, first, come follow me. Let me me take you to the cross so you can experience the atonement that you need, the forgiveness. And then follow me and live for me for the rest of your days of your life until you pass into the grave. And there you will enter my eternal rest. And then because the Father has given all things into my hands, there will come a day when I rise you up to newness of life in a world made with perfection and joy and eternal happiness. Jesus says, come, follow me, get on the bus, obey my voice. You see, the gospel isn't so much a suggestion, like something to mull around in your head. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. The gospel is a command from Christ. Repent, believe the gospel. It's a command. It's imperatives. It's a command to be obeyed. 
Come with me and experience eternal life, or the wrath of God will remain on you. These are sober words. You simply cannot just say Jesus is a good teacher and you like his teachings, because that's what he says, right? (laughs) He says those who don't have him are hopeless for all eternity. Thankfully, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. There is forgiveness for all who turn and trust in Christ. God has placed all things in Jesus' hands. Therefore, he must increase and we must decrease. And where does this leave us this morning? I think it challenges us in a few areas. I think one is in the area of vulnerability, right? When we say that Christ must increase, but we must decrease... Are we not surrendering control? Something about human nature doesn't like to surrender control. Even when we're surrendering control to the Son of God, whom the Father has given all things into his hands. We like to calculate the odds. We like to hedge our bets. We like to have well-formulated plan Bs in case Jesus doesn't work out well enough for us. My friends, I hope we see it as good and wise to entrust our lives to Christ that he may increase and we may decrease. Another challenge is in aligning our lives with God's big story. None of us here are the Christ or the bridegroom. Let's be honest. We're not even John the Baptist, right? I mean, if you were to do like a scale of like, you know, roles in the kingdom... Our roles are pretty insignificant in the scheme of things. Here's what we must do. Instead of seeking roles in the kingdom where we can be feel as if we're making a huge difference over and against somebody else, um, may we instead... Realize what God has made us to be. He's given us simple roles in the church and in our communities. Uh, Simple things to do, but important work. Our problem is, instead of doing simple things in God's kingdom, we look for greater roles in our own kingdom, right? Isn't that true? The psalmist declared in Psalm 8410, he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper Okay, it's not a good job for those of you wondering, right? Like, imagine, like, checking IDs, you know, at a bar late at night. Okay. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. My friends, every day that's a decision we have to make too, right? I think there's countless ways in which John the Baptist can challenge us this morning. I simply ask that you just be challenged, wherever that may be. Pray to Christ. Say, Jesus, show me areas in my own life where I desire to increase at your expense. Remind yourself that he alone is the Christ. Remind yourself that he alone is the bridegroom. Remind yourself that he alone is the one sent from heaven and that he alone has been given all things from the Father And may these truths delight your soul. Because Christ alone gives us fullness of joy. He must increase and we must decrease. Let's pray.
Father, these are hard words. Even though they're in Scripture, and even though our minds affirm them, it's just hard to work into our lives. May we be reminded of your patience towards your children, uh, your tender, loving care, your desire for us to be changed, um, but also the power that you give us to change, the power of the Holy Spirit, of Scripture, um, of your Son calling us to further and further greatness for his kingdom. Uh, May we be alive in Christ for that end, we pray. Amen.